song is Manic Monday. Right now we're watching some video on Global News Morning that indicates more of a soaked Monday. This is uh, they're showing some something from Stony Mountain where they're they're coming down a hill on snowboards or skates and then they're having a they're trying to ski across skates skis and they're trying to ski across a puddle, pretty big puddle like an open body of water. That doesn't look fun at all. I skied for a lot of years. You wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't have caught me doing that. I did that the first time I ever went skiing was about. Ooh, 15, maybe even 20 years ago almost. And I can't, I always forget where it was. I think it was uh, Mississippi. I'll have to double check. But anyway, it was the last day of the season. So the day started where it was ice. Mm-hmm. And then it was by a few hours later, it was slush. And uh, by the end of the day, this massive puddle had sort of pooled at the bottom of the hill. And uh, because I went down the hill a couple of times and thought, hey, I know how to ski now. I can go across that. No, I didn't. And I did a face plant and my whole downfield parka was soaking wet. So you've experienced what some of those individuals were experiencing yesterday at Stony Mountain Recreation Park. Yeah, it's not fun, especially when that's a, when right after that you have to get in the car and drive home for four hours. Yeah, you were at Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> it was a four-hour ride home. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no question about it. When I lived in BC, this is about the time of year when we would get to do one of our ski, golf ski days. It would be warm enough that you could water ski at the end of the day on Kalamalka Lake. Okay. Golf in the afternoon and go up to Silver Star and and downhill ski in the morning. Oh. We tried to do that once a year the whole time I lived in <laughs> in the Okanagan. It was always my favorite day of the year bar Fun. none. Long day. Ski golf ski. Uh what's the date today on the calendar? April 16th. Someone on my Facebook feed pointing out it's actually January 96th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's terrible, but... Well, I mean, if you're living here, we might be in the best spot in the entire country. It's raining in Vancouver. Yeah. They're expecting 25 centimeters of snow in Calgary today, and they've got ice and snowstorms in southern Ontario and Quebec. Yeah, it's a, you're just looking at the Environment Canada weather map. That's that storm in, in out east in particular is frightening, but uh, I know you pay always keep an eye on what's going on with the weather out west. Not Is it really a surprise, though, to see snow getting nope. ready to dump in Alberta? Because isn't Calgary always one of the, the first communities to get hit and the last? It can snow any of the 12 months in Calgary, and I've seen it with my own two eyes over the years. And actually, April is the second snowiest month of the calendar year in Alberta. Mm -hmm. So they are uh, looking for a big dump. And that weather that we saw in Minnesota that kept the jets out of getting to Minneapolis, St. Paul on Saturday, that's the same weather system that's made its way across the Great Lakes now to the east and into southern Ontario and into into southern Quebec as well. Yeah, that I was looking at the radar of the system that was heading east, and it actually reached all the way down to the, the southern tip of the United States. It was just this monster. It just looked like this kind of like a blade. If you uh, were looking at the, at the map and the weather system took a physical form, it was just this big long blade that just kind of then leveled out when it got up to Ontario. So yeah, monster weather. So we're actually looking pretty good right now. Looks the like a uh, couple uh, of clouds. Yeah, the week ahead looks spectacular. Of course, with the loss in St. Paul last night, the Jets now... Uh, guaranteed a home game Friday night, game five, 
12 degrees on Friday under a sunny sky. That's the long-term forecast right now. We saw almost 10,000 people on the Great White Way on Friday night. I don't know if that's what we're going to end up calling it, but I'm going with that for now. It was an amazing spectacle. Never mind what happened inside the arena on Friday night. Not terrific last night, of course, at the XL Energy Centre, but we'll talk with Kelly Moore later on, Russ Hobson, and, of course, our good friend Loren McDab. Uh, both of those uh, last two people I mentioned are down in the Twin Cities, and we'll visit with them to uh, find out how things went overall for fans yesterday. Yesterday, uh, the trek down, and then of course the inevitable trek home. Because once you go, you've got to come back. At least most folks that were down for the game last night uh, probably coming back to try and get back to work at least partially for today, if not for the entire workday. And there will be some folks that will stay for the entire uh, duration of the two home games down in the Twin Cities. Yeah, it must have been a tough slog to have to drive down there through that weather, and then just to watch the Jets get. Yep. Wailed on, oh. and then got to drive back yes. through, through the, the lousy stuff to come to work on a Monday. Yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of sucks. It was Agassiz, by the way. Oh, was it I really? Just, I did. I had to go through my go into my Facebook Messenger because <laughs> really? I always rem- I always forget where it was because I get the two A's mixed up. Okay, Agassiz, Mississippi, and yeah. then I, I wow. was my, with my friend uh, Jeff Barrett, uh, old friend, and I remember asking him a couple of years ago, "Hey, just at random, hey, where do we go skiing?" Because I can I can never remember. <laughs> So that's in the Riding Mountain yeah, area. Yeah, of course, it doesn't exist anymore, which is pretty sad. Yeah. I know Jeff was working to uh, try and revitalize the uh, that uh, ski resort. Uh, just uh, not going to happen. They took down the ski lift and everything associated with it. So uh, that will never be heard from again. Hey, um, I know you're a big This Is Us fan. You know, uh, did you I, hear I, Chrissy Metz is in town? Yeah, she's been here for a few weeks. Oh. A friend of mine actually sent me a text saying that his wife bumped into her. And I'm just pulling up the text message now. And this is my friend Sean. And he said that uh, she bumped into her on Saturday. We were, uh, they were, we're at Shoppers on McGilvery and we just saw uh, the sister from This Is Us. There you go. LOL. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen a few people taking pictures on Instagram and whatnot. Well, Chrissy huh? Metz. That's I very thought good. I was telling you something. I know how much you love the show. I, I thought I was giving you breaking news, but I should have known better. I'm a little ashamed, actually, because I am a fan of the show, but I have three episodes that have been sitting on my PVR for, I guess, a couple of months now because the season finale, I think, was in February. So you haven't seen the season finale? I haven't. Huh? I know. <laughs> Better get on that, brother. I know. I did see A Quiet Place over the weekend, though, so I can tell you a little bit about that extraordinary film at some point this morning here on 680 CJOB. To catch Alzheimer's disease earlier, an expert panel recommends changes to how it's diagnosed. Allison Vushnik reports. Is there a way to catch Alzheimer's disease earlier, before the memory loss? For people like Alice Bailey, 75 and sharp. I can play Name That Tune with anyone. She could be considered suffering from Alzheimer's. An expert panel in the U.S. has outlined how defining the disease needs to change. Their desire to have a new definition of Alzheimer's disease, particularly for research purposes, is a major step forward. Right now, patients are diagnosed after they experience changes in memory and behavior. The panel recommends using biomarkers, testing using brain scans or spinal fluid. These biological signs could show the disease 10 to 20 years earlier, before symptoms start. 
If you give somebody a statin to lower their cholesterol when they're already in the cardiac ICU, you can't fix their heart. But we've saved millions of people by lowering cholesterol. We have the chance to do that in Alzheimer's disease now. The need is great. It's being referred to as a pandemic. Uh, if one considers that 40% of people by age 90 have Alzheimer's disease and we have no treatments for it. Right now, there are no drugs that can cure Alzheimer's or stop it only medications to temporarily ease the symptoms. We desperately need new drugs. Canadian researchers say this new way to define Alzheimer's could help speed drug discovery. It's a game changer in terms of our ability to do clinical trials and try to find drugs that will be curative and that will make a difference in the future. Making treatments more targeted. It means that when a treatment finally is available, it's going to stand a much better chance of success because it's going to be aimed at these molecular processes rather than very late in the day when the patient's finally complaining about memory problems. For now, this type of testing is expensive and invasive. The hope is one day it could be a simple blood test. Alice is enrolled in a clinical trial. She has no symptoms, but plaque buildup on her brain. She hopes new research can keep the disease away. I love looking at my photographs and the past. I don't like the idea of forgetting those. Alison Vushnik, Global News. That's a dramatic change, Brett, because really, up until now, as we speak, the only way to absolutely confirm that someone has Alzheimer's is post-mortem. Oh, wow. You, you can diagnose based on experience and, you know, uh, but you cannot prove for sure that someone had Alzheimer's disease until after they pass away. So this would be landmark if you were able to test for this ahead of time because that would allow you to do all the things that they think they can do to stall, subside. Certainly there's no cure for Alzheimer's at this point. That is the, the ultimate challenge. It was a busy weekend down in Ottawa. We were commenting earlier that it would be nice to be flying commercial if you're Justin Trudeau right now, flying from Ottawa to, to Peru, back to Ottawa, and then off to France. And instead of uh, flying home, he made a pit stop. As we mentioned, Trudeau met with the premiers of BC and Alberta to discuss the dispute over the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Joining us now to discuss, Global National Reporter Abigail Beeman. And uh, Abigail, it was quite the weekend in Ottawa, to be sure. The, does there seem to be any road for consensus here to get this project done? Well, good morning. So the Prime Minister came out promising basically money and laws to fix this problem, but very short on details. So uh, he said that, you know, the provinces are at an impasse that can only be solved by the federal government. Uh, and he has instructed his finance minister to talk to Kinder Morgan officially about financial arrangements. But we don't yet know exactly what that financial arrangement is. This is obviously a win for Alberta Premier Rachel Notley, who said she was prepared to buy the $7.4 billion project outright. Now she's getting some sort of help from the feds and also a promise for some legislative measures. But again, we don't yet know what those are. So the Prime Minister insists that uh, BC's government has no authority to block the Trans Mountain Pipeline project, but BC is saying, nah, you know what, this meeting changes nothing. So who, who actually does have the authority to say yay or nay to this project? 
That's right. Well, uh, Ottawa maintains that it does. And the many constitutional experts that we've spoken with, nobody says otherwise at this point. There, uh, BC, as you say, is going to continue to fight this in court. But the prime minister seems pretty confident that whatever legislative action that he can put in place will be able to just push this pipeline through. There are a few different options invoking the constitution that could make that happen. Now, Abigail, uh, John John Horgan, the Premier of British Columbia, got into power in a kind of a unique fashion, right? He's got a coalition government. And so there are many who feel as though there are essentially three members of the British Columbia Parliament who are dictating this policy of British Columbia. Has that come up over the weekend? Uh, you know, we heard from the leader of the Greens. He, as you say, is in uh, lockstep with Premier Horgan on this, but it's not really something that was discussed after the meeting. Uh, what Premier Horgan focused on, he said he was happy to hear that, that Ottawa was willing to work with them to strengthen the ocean protections plan. And again, we don't have details there. Uh, Premier Horgan said that Ottawa was open to it. The Prime Minister says, yes, we are, but BC actually hasn't asked for anything specific. So that was sort of the peacemaking attempt in all of this. But as you say, Premier Horgan not backing down. Is it wise for Premier Horgan to essentially play chicken with the prime minister on this? Well, there's a lot at stake for him politically. He repeated his message over and over again that, you know, he's here for the people of British Columbia. In fact, I think his exact quote yesterday was, I gave as good as I got. So uh, it's uh, there. There is some some um, saving face here. He, he He's strong in his position and, and he really can't back down from it at this point. Abigail, is this a dangerous precedent for the province of Alberta? Rachel Notley, the premier and the prime minister, suggesting that if they need to get involved on a financial front to make this project move forward, could, could that be precedent sending in a dangerous fashion? Right. And that, and that's what uh, the prime minister was asked several times by s- several different ways in his uh, media availability yesterday. What message are you sending that you can just, you know, buy this pipeline? That's what it takes to fix the problem. What message does that send to investors I- in Canada? You know, don't worry about it. Uh, the government will just step in and, and use taxpayer dollars to solve this mm-hmm. problem. He, uh, the prime minister basically said, you know, I wouldn't go that far yet because, again, no details have come out as to exactly what financial measures are in place. But that's certainly the sentiment that's on the table a lot. A lot of people want to know just how uh, just how much of their taxpayer dollars are, are going to fix this problem. And of course, this is because Kinder Morgan has said, "Hey, we're we're stopping all uh, investment in this pipeline in, until it moves forward." Uh, the money alone, though, isn't the only hurdle. So I think a lot of us here in Manitoba and elsewhere are scratching their heads and going, uh, "The money's one thing. How does the money magically make this project move forward? Has anybody indicated how that?" That's a magic wand. Well, exactly. And I think the the other part of the equation there is this legislation. So I think a lot of people holding their breath to see what kind of legislation this entails, what this means for protesters on the ground in British Columbia. Uh, but Premier Notley said, you know, she's fully confident that that this will eliminate investor concerns. And that's what this is all about. Kinder Morgan says they, do, they don't have confidence in the project. Uh, they issued a statement yesterday saying they won't issue any more statements until they are 100% confident that this deal could go ahead by their imposed May 31st deadline. Global Nationals, Abigail Beeman, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks. Have a great day. And once again, this is what the Prime Minister had to say about this. But we are, above all, one country governed by our Constitution, 
and by the rule of law. As such, I have instructed the Minister of Finance to initiate formal financial discussions with Kinder Morgan, the result of which will be to remove the uncertainty overhanging the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project. We will not have these discussions in public, but construction will go ahead. I have also informed Premiers Notley and Horgan today that we are actively pursuing legislative options that will assert plus reinforce the Government of Canada's jurisdiction in this matter, which we know we clearly have. It's uh, pretty calm, cool and collected. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, very deliberate in his remarks. Mm -hmm. And it will be fascinating to see what this legislation looks like and if it has the power that Justin Trudeau suggests that it will have. The storm that walloped Minneapolis-St. Paul with more than 30 centimeters of snow didn't deter Winnipeg Jets fans from making the long road trip south. Maybe a high-quality working crystal ball may have changed some of those plans, even though a lot of those travelers had to deal with some tricky weather conditions. Today we're having coffee talking about our own experiences traveling in extreme weather in a quest for adventure, entertainment, or otherwise. Jeff Braun, Kelly Moore, Shanalee Vidal, and I think behind the glass, Jerry is back. Yes. In Yay! full mode I, today. I can talk. All right, man. Oh, so why don't darn. we start with you? I haven't heard from you for about four days now. <laughs> yeah, our, well, I, I used to live in the snow belt in southern Ontario. So I had to do a lot of driving. Uh, and I mean, it wasn't unusual for a snowfall to be 30 to 60 centimeters uh, you know, within 24 hours. Um, and I worked about an hour and a half away from where I lived for about a year uh, at uh, the radio station I worked at. And so driving through the snow belt, um, there was one day, it was usually, like I say, usually about 90 minute drive. Um, and the regular highway that I usually took uh, to work was completely closed. So I had to do a roundabout. And then the regular roundabout, that highway ended up being closed about halfway up it. So I had to do another roundabout. It took me about three hours to get to work that day. Um, and then I got snowed in at, uh, at uh, the station, so I couldn't leave. Uh, the next day when I did get to leave, though, uh, I was going down the highway and... It, we hit what we hit what we call streamers off the lake so it's just kind of like fingers of 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 snow coming off the lake and you just for for you know maybe a kilometer you can't see a thing and and then after that kilometer you've got clear open roads then for another kilometer <laughs> after that you can't see a thing weird um, yeah it is it's the strangest thing it's like it's like a hand coming off the lake it's really cool uh, if you're not in it. Um, and I can remember being in that, and you don't know if you're actually going forward or not, except for the fact that your speedometer is still at about uh, 20 or 30. You can't, t it, you can't tell if, if you're going forward or backward or sideways, and you just have to pray that no one is coming up behind you. Of course, Jerry's story involves going to work, because that's what Jerry does. Jerry works. Shanley Vidal, please tell me your story involves some pursuit of either physical activity or some sort of extra special event. 
Uh, it's funny. It's, it's, I'm having actually having a hard time which story to choose because I've traveled a lot for roller derby mostly. And I was going to pick the story about having to do with going down to Fargo and almost being stranded down there. But actually, that was not the most extreme weather I've counted on a road trip. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin. We're about an hour away. I think this was in September. And then all of a sudden, like it, it was raining. And then it starts it, these torrential rainstorms. I've never in my entire life seen anything like this. Um, like the, And we're in a very sturdy vehicle. Vehicles moving all over the place. You could not see anything at all in front of you it was pitch black um and i could tell my boyfriend as he's the calmest person in the world he can drive through any extreme situation he was a little bit nervous oh, that's and when I, you know. I thought i thought we were going to perish that night i really really did getting all these alerts on my phone about flash flooding in the area and if there had not been a semi in front of us with the lights for for him to focus on i don't know that we would have made it yeah, I've been in some of those nasty rainstorms in the southern, like in the in the Midwest, and uh, a popular practice is to find an uh, an interchange, right, and to park underneath. That's one where of those all the motorcycles overpasses. go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to kind of hide out there. And the first time ever doing that uh, was near Sioux City, Iowa, mm-hmm. and rains that you just could not see through, almost as bad as a blizzard, Kelly. Yeah, I, of course, was on the bus for many, many years, uh, both in junior and in, in the pros. Uh, this one's kind of a little bit of a, a hilarious story. I mean, everybody, I, I think anybody who's traveled in BC knows about the Coquihalla Highway. And the conditions there can be extreme. And there's one area, it's kind of like Jerry's story about the fingers in the lake. It's called the Snowshed. And there's a reason it's called the Snowshed, because all the snow seems to wind up there. So anyway, we're coming back from playing the night before somewhere in the main line, lower Lantern in Seattle, and we were playing at, at home that night. It was a six o'clock game, and I remember it's early afternoon. Can't get through the snowshed. Highways closed. And so all these people are starting to come on the team bus. They want to use the washroom. Oh, boy. And so, <laughs> so, <laughs> some of the enterprising veterans were starting to charge them. <laughs> wow. Very good. <laughs> Highway open, got in maybe about a half an hour before the game was supposed to start. They played it. But, My uh, word. Yeah. So I was getting, oh, back to ca- per- getting back to Kamloops. Yeah, parade of people. <laughs> just coming on, That's coming off. Very enterprising. <laughs> what about like you, Jeff? That. You lived in Altona growing up. Did you ever get trapped there, for example? In town? Yeah. Uh, storm of the century we got ta- trapped at our buddy's house. We were like 20 minutes away from being trapped at the bar all night for oh. two days. And then they kicked us out. So, yeah. uh, no. The best one we ever had, though, was growing up, one of my friends, his father owned a car dealership. And every now and then he'd send us, a bunch of us out to go pick up new cars for him. And so six of us went to Estevan to get some cars. And we caught a storm on the way back. And we didn't, this was, I don't know, early 90s. They're closing the highways behind us. We were the only people on the road. And it took, ow, I don't know how long that drive supposed to take. It took forever. And the part right at the end, especially from Winkler to Altona is about a 25-minute drive. It took us three hours to drive that, including several stops, complete stops on the highway with her little four-car caravan where we'd shovel the drift off the highway so we could keep driving. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and like I said, yeah, it was like no cell phones. We were expected back at like 8 in the evening, and now it's like 3 in the morning and no one's heard from us because like we're teenagers too, right? We never <laughs> occurred to us to like stop and call anybody or anything. <laughs> <laughs> they were probably worried that you'd stolen the cars and, and, and <laughs> sold them on the black market. <laughs> uh, for nothing super harrowing for me. I just remember when I was about 19, 
I went out to Brandon for the first time just for a random weekend with some friends uh, that I'd gone to high school with. And it was fine on the way out, but there was a snowstorm that came through. And I had heard about Highway 1 west of the city can be troublesome and dangerous. And uh, so I got to see it firsthand. I wasn't driving, thank God, but it was white-knuckle driving on the way home. Uh, My friend, who had a very heavy foot, typically uh, had to ease off the gas. I think we were probably doing 50 to 60 the whole way back. So it was a long ride back from Brandon, because what's that, about a two-and-a-half-hour drive? Yeah, it should be two two hours from the... from the gas stations and all the businesses on the north side of Brandon to uh, Headingley, should it's exactly two hundred kilometers. So. Well, it did. It took a lot longer than that. So that would, but so n- not for me, nothing super. Although you mentioned the the ra- hiding under the interchange, and I remember being, I think I was like four years old in Ontario. We were driving down to Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, from my aunt's place in uh, Essex, Ontario, which is just outside of Windsor. And there was a rainstorm like that where uh, my cousin, who was on a motorcycle, had to take refuge underneath uh, such an interchange because you couldn't see a foot in front of you. It was, it was a nightmare. So, yeah, that's scary. Whenever I have to drive through a, a rainstorm, that's the kind of thing that I remember. Yeah, there's uh, lots of things that we do, lots of crazy stuff that we do in pursuit of getting there because there's an event that starts at a certain time, right? And that can, uh, that can uh, clearly... <laughs> force you to do some things you wouldn't do under normal circumstances. So uh, thanks for sharing the stories, guys. Two more members of the Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team have been laid to rest. There was a memorial Sunday for 18-year-old Parker Tobin in Stony Plain, Alberta, and a celebration of life was held for Logan Schatz in Allen, Saskatchewan. The 20-year-old was the team captain. Funerals have now been held for seven of the 16 killed in the horrific collision between the team bus and a tractor trailer on April 6th. Two of the 10 people who remain in hospital are being treated for critical injuries. Meanwhile, the Estevan Bruins and Nippon Hawks paid tribute to the Humboldt Broncos, which included a moment of silence before their game Saturday night. The teams also thanked first responders as they formed a circle around center ice. The Broncos are part of our Investigators still haven't determined what caused the Humboldt bus crash. One factor they'll be looking at is the qualifications of the truck driver. As Global News reporter Sean O'Shea explains, the rules of the road for big rigs are not the same across Canada. It's a tragedy with many questions in its wake. How could 16 die and others suffer critical injuries on this Saskatchewan highway? How did it happen? Questions accident investigators are trying to answer. What is known is that the driver of the transport that collided with the bus carrying the Humboldt Broncos hockey team had been on the road only two weeks. If you're not qualified to drive that truck, you shouldn't be behind that wheel. The trucking industry says there's a difference between having a license and being able to drive. It's a small step getting your license. There's many more steps to go to actually qualify for a good company to operate that piece of machinery on a public highway. Ontario is now the only province in Canada that mandates formal driver training as a component of licensing. New rules brought in last July require 103 hours of in-class and on-road training for drivers. It's the national gold standard. 
Other provinces allow you to get behind a big rig so long as you could pass a test. Uh, approximately 90% of drivers who uh, attempt the test do take some form of training. It is not mandatory. And safety is a key important factor, so the training is definitely a step in the right direction. Those other provinces are eyeing Ontario's lead. I've asked the department to sort of uh, put that on the front burner uh, as a matter of urgency in light of what's happened. The trucking industry says some companies go beyond the bare minimum required by law and require driver training. But that still leaves some willing to use drivers with the bare minimum qualifications. Let us see if there is a newer invigorated political will as a result of what happened to rid the trucking industry of that small percentage of carriers that don't embrace the culture of safety. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. Hey Kelly, you're not old enough to have traveled on the train with the hockey teams back mm, in the day. Not quite that old. <laughs> Did you know this from Zach Fleischer on Twitter? You can follow him at Zach Fleisch. Did you know that Winnipeg and Minneapolis were linked by a passenger train that ran until 1967? Cool aspect of our shared history. Imagine taking the train down to see a game would have been a good oh, time yeah. for sure. Take the whole idea of driving out of the equation, uh, tip back a few wobbly pops, and then uh, get on the train and come back home either this morning or late last night. That would have well, been the Jets epic. would have liked that if that train had been running on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Moore, sports director here at 680 CGOB. Christian O'Mell, host of Sports Sunday. Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry, we're going to dissect also Briefly, last night, 6-2, lost to the Minnesota Wild. Uh, the Jets still ahead in the series 2-1, Kelly. And we'll talk a little bit about Friday because uh, we've been also trying to highlight, I think, the social aspect oh. and the greater community mm. aspect of what this uh, early playoff run uh, may do for the city of Winnipeg. So we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, reason to panic if you're a Jets no, fan? No, not at all. It's one game. Uh, you know, they didn't certainly play anywhere near to the same level that they did in Winnipeg. But uh, for at least for, for my money, uh, that game was in the balance from about the, oh, say, eight-minute mark to about the 15-minute mark of the second period. After uh, Tyler Myers scored to make it 3-2, Devin Dubnik had to make several outstanding saves. If the Jets tie that game up, I think it's a totally different story. It was whoever could get to three for Winnipeg or four for Minnesota uh, was the difference. Minnesota got to the four and then took over the game. But for a while there, uh, that one was hanging in the balance. You mentioned Tyler Myers and uh, Christian. Tyler Myers goes down at the uh, hands of... Marcus Foligno, anything yeah. dirty there? Uh, it depends if you're a Jets fan or not. If you're a Jets fan, you think it was dirty. And if you're a neutral <laughs> observer, you probably think it wasn't dirty. It's tough because he does hit him in the back of the leg with his hands, but was he kind of just stumbling yeah. into it? Because we've all tripped and fell before and didn't have control of our limbs. Yeah, I don't distinctively remember ever punching anything on my way down as a way to catch my balance, but I'll digress. Mm -hmm. well, I, was, I, I was once ro trying to rollerblade downtown, and I lost my balance, and I reached out and grabbed this guy who was walking beside me. <laughs> <laughs> that is understandable. Did you punch uh, him in the knee on the way down? Uh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't go down. He, his shoulder kept me up on go. my feet. I've also presence. fallen rollerblading before. For, all playing Pokemon Go and my phone went flying, so <laughs> I had nothing to break to my and he, fall. And he wanted to punch somebody, but <laughs> I, Kelly, I, I think we'll take Adam Lowry's version. Uh, and, and I'm not thinking that he's giving it for public consumption, but uh, his his attitude was it was not intentional. It was an awkward play. 
and that's from the Jets' dressing room. And quite frankly, as I saw it, I, I did not see anything untoward about that play either. Well, you haven't been analyzing it the same way Christian and I have, baby. It's a brooder <laughs> film. That's all I look at it. Hey, Kelly, how much of the, the Jets' travel problems may have infected uh, their play last night? I knew the players would say not at all, that, uh, you know, but hockey players are creatures of habit. And when you upset their routine, they're not the same. So I, I don't want to demean Minnesota's performance last night, but it was a factor. They will play better in game four because they will be in their routine. Did the, did the Jets make a mistake by not altering their travel arrangements and flying out Friday night? I'm not going to play hindsight's 50-50 here, Greg. They, you know, I, I am sure they did their due diligence on what they thought was the best way to go. Yeah, and that's fair. Just thought yeah. I would ask you. Yeah, no, no, no. and I pre- I appreciate that yeah. because there was a lot of you know a lot of second guessing going on about that. Should they have maybe yeah. not flown out right after the game? So right. I'm. <laughs> They're pretty smart. They have a lot of people that are involved in that organization that look at a bunch of different Absolutely. things to aid the team. So I'm I'm going to defer that they, uh, yeah, they felt they did the best thing. Hey Christian, uh, when Steve when Mason came out in the third period yesterday, and they one of the announcers made the comments clearly saving Hellebuck for Game Four. Uh, that that's not an admission that they've they're essentially res- resolved to losing the game, are they? Well, then, not necessarily, but when you're down 6-2 heading into the third, you're basically saying, yeah, this doesn't look like it's our night. You put in Mason, he hasn't played hardly at all in the last few months in the NHL, so you get him some reps. Hellebuck's, you know, had a not a great night. It kind of is waving the flag. You say, all right, we're not going to win this game. We're just being realistic. If, say, in the first couple minutes of the third you get two goals, then all of a sudden your attitude changes, but you have confidence that... Mason isn't going to give up four goals in the third period. So they look ahead now to game four. You know, there was a hungry home team that was eager to come off of two tough losses in Winnipeg. And now, really, this game four, you're either going to have a 2-2 or Winnipeg's going to have a chance to clinch it Friday. And we've got ourselves a series. Yeah, it's a swing game for sure. Brett, I would say that uh, by doing what they did with Connor Hellebuck, that's an investment in the series as opposed to you know, the final 20 minutes of the hockey game. They're thinking big picture when they make a move like that. You know, I think it's been discussed that home at ice advantage isn't necessarily what it once was in the National Hockey League with a lot of the arenas being fairly similar. You don't have distinctive home ice advantages in terms of the size of rink or the boards or and the glass is all fairly uniform now, etc., etc. The, the, the rinks are sort of sanitized uh, of character to a great extent. You're not but, referring to the Boston Garden and Chicago Stadium, I right? was, and maybe even the odd in Buffalo where yeah. maybe those teams had yeah. unfair home ice advantages, Uh, but we have to keep in mind there are two teams playing in this series and the Minnesota Wild were the second best home team in the National Hockey League. They had the fewest uh, losses losses, in regulation. Uh, The only team better on home ice this year was, in fact, the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting when you look around the first round, uh, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights won in L.A. last night, Pittsburgh won in Philadelphia, Columbus has already won the first two in Washington, as did San Jose and Anaheim, so this is really, well, we'll see what happens in Toronto tonight, but, Hmm. you know, going into that third game, this is the only series, really, where home ice, and I guess we shouldn't be surprised, Christian, because of what Greg just described, that these two teams have relied on home ice uh, uh, to the extent that they have. And Winnipeg fans, obviously, 
they're very loud. But we saw last night that, you know, <laughs> Minnesota fans, they love hockey too. We thought, oh, how many Jets fans are going to make their way to Minnesota? There were some. There were more Jet fans in Minnesota than there were Minnesota fans For in sure. I yeah. saw exactly two Minnesota fans <laughs> on Friday night in the 300 <laughs> section, and there were maybe four in the lower bowl. Two of them made it onto the Jumbotron or on the scoreboard. <laughs> in where front they, of Richard Kluge. Yes, where they actually put Winnipeg Jets jerseys on, yes. on, on them. So uh, let's yeah. go back to Friday night before we wrap this up. About 10,000 people on the Great White Way or some Someone said White River, which uh, <laughs> might sound pretty good. Uh, it was uh, really all, almost a cultural experience on, on Friday night, the, the, the way the, the city gathered to watch that game. It's game two. It's April of the first round, and it was below zero. So just yeah. imagine Friday night now when it's going to be, you know, 10 the degrees, digits, yeah. possible clinching game. You're going to have more people every time, I think, that they hold these for the for the home games. And it's an experience, even if you're maybe not a Jets fan, that you almost have to check out at one point. Yeah, I had a chance to cover that for Richard and Julie on uh, Friday afternoon, and it was nothing short of spectacular. It really reminded me of being in downtown Vancouver for the Olympics uh, in 2010. It was that same type of great jovial spirit. You know, everybody down there was having a great time. There were no, you know, no stupidity or anything else of that. It was just fantastic. And I'll tell you, the most popular person that I, at least before the game, was the Queen. <laughs> yes, of course. The Queen of Robinsdale. Everybody wanted a picture with the Queen. <laughs> and uh, uh, just before we go, Brett, on my way back uh, to the car on Friday night, walking through the skywalks, you got a bird's eye view of what was going on, and the party continued after the game. And I heard someone say, and I tweeted it out, uh, once I got home on Friday night, and it's got as much action as any simple tweet I've ever sent out. I overheard someone say, that's what revitalization looks yes, like. Absolutely. And it's just a completely different vibe in our city. And I know we can't do that 365 days a year, but. but yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be special if you did. But uh, hey, uh, I'm going to throw White City. White City, that's a place in Saskatchewan. We can't White have that. Sorry. Fix <laughs> name. Sorry, Shut guy. it down. Just I, outside I, Regina. No, no, denied. That was, that was intended. <laughs> <laughs> Set me up. Driven through White City many times. Thanks, Moore. <laughs> Set me up. Christian O'Mell and Kelly Moore. We are heading to St. Paul, Minnesota to catch up with Global News reporter, sports guy extraordinaire, Russ Hobson. He's down there along with our, our good friend, Loren McNabb of Global News. And... Um, Russ, have you ever driven in anything like that in your lifetime? No, that was uh, completely insane. You know, I've lived in Manitoba 20 years, uh, uh, lived in the snow belt in southern Ontario, but that was uh, some crazy driving. Uh, the visibility was uh, not terrible at times. It was more the fact you just couldn't see the interstate. It was just white as far as the eye could see there was cars in the ditches probably every 500 meters or so there was a car pulled over uh the the exit ramps you couldn't even get on the exit ramps there was so much snow but uh we plowed through uh the last 100 miles was probably about 30 kilometers an hour but uh we made it here and uh we're in the building for uh, last night's game three well yeah as of last night uh, 630 crashes almost 1200 spin outs uh, 69 people were hurt. Uh, two people had been killed in crashes. Uh, so this was definitely serious. How long did it take you to get down there? 
It was about a 10-hour drive uh, once it was all said and done. You know, it was smooth sailing right to about Albertville, and then it was just a, a wall of white. Uh, it stopped snowing for a little bit yesterday, but then it, it started again in the afternoon, and the roads are uh, still pretty rough. We're driving in St. Paul right now, and uh, the roads are certainly not great yet. At Russ, I'm planning to uh, spray down my driveway this afternoon with a little bit of hose and maybe do that in my shorts and T-shirt. Well, maybe not quite, but you get the picture. It's a completely different story here. So uh, we uh, we have aspersions uh, cast at us all the time from folks around North America. We were speculating about what it might be like had this weather hit Winnipeg on Friday. Uh, better them than us, I think. Yeah, for sure. I wasn't even going to bring my Parker mitts down here, and I'm sure glad I changed my mind and brought them with me because uh, it was pretty chilly outside. I just did a, a hit for TV, and it was uh, pretty cold standing outside. It was It's much like Winnipeg weather here right now. You looked none too pleased, my friend. <laughs> we were watching you <laughs> on that. Hey, Winnipegers, this has become, Minnesota has sort of become the equivalent of Saskatchewan-Winnipeg rivalry in the CFL. Uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of Pegers down in the Twin Cities uh, for the game last night. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, it is. There was lots of Jets fans out milling out and about, and uh, they tried to get a Go Jets Go chant going a couple times, but every time it started, uh, the Let's Go Wild uh, quickly drowned them out. Uh, It's a very loud building. The atmosphere is is much the same as Bell MTS Place. Of course, it's a lot bigger. They have had 19,000 people there last night, but it's a knowledgeable fan base. It's called the State of Hockey for a reason, right? Absolutely, Russ. We look forward to catching up with you uh, for the next couple days uh, before you head home. And uh, Game 5 is a certainty now, so we'll have lots to talk about at least until Saturday morning. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for this. All right, Global News sports guy, Russ Hobson. I think that's the official title that appears on his card, right? I'm pretty sure that's what I call him, for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> okay, Russ, thanks a lot. Uh, enjoy your stay in Minnesota. And we are going to speak with Loren McNabb, Global News anchor Loren McNabb, coming up at 8 45. She also made the trip at 8.37. We're actually going to speak with Anthony Farnell, a global national weather specialist. And uh, because when you look across the country, you've got a snow event in Alberta. You've got the major winter storm event in eastern Canada where there was ice, 100,000 customers without power. That actually, that that storm uh, left uh, 250,000 customers in Michigan and Detroit without power. So serious weather going on all around us. The blizzard to the south, blizzard to the west, storm to the east. And I'm looking at the weather of Boston Marathon today. It's four degrees as we speak, going up no higher than seven and rain all day in Boston on Patriots Day for the Boston Marathon. So bizarre weather all over the place. That's why you just shouldn't run that's a <laughs> don't do that don't follow my advice that's why, that's why. <laughs> hey greg i saw you are you into scary movies no you know i, I no i'm not okay so you won't be running out to see a quiet place <laughs> no what about you behind the glass jerry i love scary movies do you want to see a quiet place I do. So for those who haven't heard of it, this is the movie that finished us. It was the box office champion last week, around $50 million. It was second place this week, just behind Rampage. Uh, Rampage, that's the one with the rock, with the big monsters, or the big gorilla, the big wolf, and the big crocodile. That's based on a video game? Yeah, from 1986. Wow, I don't remember that one. Very loosely based. Yeah, you played either as a giant gorilla, giant wolf, or a giant lizard, and you crawled up buildings and smashed them down. (laughs) Smashy, smashy. That was it. That was the whole game, just like 
like a hundred levels of Sounds that. Sounds like it was custom made for you. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so this weekend, Rampage was number one, A Quiet Place number two. And it's a movie that's set just a couple of years into the future, directed and starring John Krasinski and uh, Emily Blunt, his real-life wife. They're married on screen. And it's set in a world where we don't know where these monsters come from, if they're aliens or they came out of a hole in the ground. But they're big, they're bad, and they hunt by sound. So you have to be very quiet. Yeah, so the, the most of the movie is, in fact, silent. This family trying to survive, can't make any noise, otherwise these monsters will come get you. It was amazing. It was very good. I highly recommend it. It's so creative. But uh, another quiet place is the head office, I guess, for this Sun Country Airlines. Have you ever heard of Sun Country Airlines? I, You know, I've traveled through Minneapolis-St. Paul International a few times, so yes, I have heard of them. They're a Minnesota-based airline, and they one of the things they do is they have hot weather destinations. And unfortunately, well, while the snow in Minnesota made the drive tricky, for those who headed down to watch the Jets game from Manitoba, that's the same one that caused the team a delay. And then they had to come back after they got rerouted to Duluth. Well, other travelers trying to get back to Minnesota from elsewhere were thwarted because flights to Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport were canceled due to the weather. Big deal. You wait till the next day, right? You think. Right? Normally, <laughs> well, for one airline, those flights that were canceled were the last ones of the season. So that left vacationers <sighs> wondering... How they would get back home. I mean, in some cases, there are worse places to get stuck than Mexico. But just hear the story here from Adrian Brodus at CARE 11 in Minneapolis. We haven't found him yet. Okay. He was supposed to be here yesterday. The most gorgeous man on earth. Who is it? Our dad. His name is Dustin Gingrich. Baggage claim usually signals the end of a journey. But for some people at MSP International Airport, it marked the beginning of another turbulent ride. They couldn't find it anywhere. There's a lot of bags here and a lot of frustrated folks trying to find their own bags. So I couldn't find this for like 45 minutes. But some would give anything to trade places. We're in Cancun trying to fly home. After a week in paradise, Scott Anderson and his wife, Michelle, were among hundreds of Sun Country passengers stranded. We have to be at the Mayo Clinic on Wednesday. I was diagnosed with breast cancer, so I've gone through actually 13 weeks of chemo and I just started a new treatment where I had a week off, so that's why we booked, even booked the trip to Mexico in the first place, was to get away from the Minnesota winter. She's completed uh, 13 treatments. Right now we're every other week, and so this is a, it's a critical treatment this week. April snowstorm delayed and canceled flights. In a statement, Sun Country told CARE 11 in part, our agents are working around the clock, some of whom stayed past their shifts in a call center. Passengers told us some country sent an email saying they would receive a full refund, but flights would need to be purchased on another carrier. We have that luxury, which it is a luxury, to uh, use a credit card to get home, uh, which we have to do. Uh, but most people are less fortunate than we are. Scott and Michelle were able to book a return flight on Delta Airlines. They landed here at MSP about 30 minutes ago, and we are happy to report tonight that Michelle will be able to undergo her next round of chemo at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester on Wednesday. Thank you very much, Adrian. And uh, so, yeah, some of these folks who are trapped either in Cancun, there was uh, one trip uh, from Los Cabos, Mazatlan, uh, they're having to... so. They're having to buy 
$1,800, $2,000 tickets, one-way tickets to get back home. Well, they're last-minute tickets, right, from yeah. these exotic destinations. And so the the, t- the fare is, is exorbitant. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Uh, so we're curious to know if you've ever been caught in a situation like this. You can text us at 204-780-6868. Got to be frustrating. And, yeah, I mean, I could think of worse places to be stuck than Cancun. Just go back and grab yourself another cerveza. But in the meantime, you're wondering, you're worried about... I would be sick worried because, A, the the cost would be if I got stuck with a $2,000 bill to get home, I'd, I'd go insane. I'd be too busy worrying about... How am I going to get home? Which airline am I going to get on with to be able to go back to the resort and relax? And what if your resort is only a seven-day all-inclusive kind of stay? Then what do you do for your accommodations? Well, yeah. What if there are no accommodations or the next round of people are there, right? What if the hotels are all full? Yeah. What are you doing, right? Because a lot of times they're exchanging in and exchanging out. But it clearly... You can go a million different directions with this story. Uh, Just not what you expect, when you're told that your flight is canceled, oh, okay, well, no problem, you'll get us tomorrow. Uh, no, we don't have any more planes. So clearly they they lease these planes for a certain amount of time, and they're probably those planes are probably working for another airline as of today. So there's no way for them to accommodate. It's uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you don't think about the possible ramifications and the possible things that can go wrong until you're right in the middle of them, unfortunately. Uh, but it'll be one more thing that I think twice about next time I travel long, you know, long distance on a, on on a on an airline that I don't necessarily know inside and out. Well, and didn't you make a destination choice based on whether or not something <laughs> would happen? 1999, of course, going into the turn of the century, the whole Y2K fear of whether or not all the computers on the planet would shut down. And we <laughs> thought, uh, Sammy Hagar is playing in Los Cabos at his bar on New Year's Eve. <laughs> if all the computers shut down, there are worse places to be. We can sleep on the beach for a couple of weeks <laughs> if things don't work out. So, yes, that did play a little part in uh, my brother and my buddy Johnny and I uh, choosing our destination for for the week of Christmas slash New Year's 1999 and 2000. That is correct, Brent. You know, I've got connections out west, Brett, so I keep an eye on the weather in Calgary and in the Okanagan. And I don't have glee when I read things like this, but I do... <laughs> But I kind do. of snicker. <laughs> <laughs> because all winter, uh, my buddy uh, Jared, who lives in Calgary, reminds me when it's plus 20 in December or January. And they've mm. had some incredible days out in Calgary, but a ton of snow. They had snow very early this year. Well, they're getting a late season dump for them. Not all that unusual. And here's the headline, Calgary could see a month's worth of snow in just over 24 hours. That's last night and into today. So that's just one weather phenomenon and one weather story happening in North America today. And Anthony Farnell is Global National's chief meteorologist. He's been covering the extreme weather across Canada. Here's a clip from a video he posted to Facebook reporting from Burlington.
Anthony joins us now live. And Anthony, after uh, listening to that clip, uh, did you find yourself reconsidering your career path? <laughs> well, I, I found myself uh, wondering if I should maybe get a better microphone. That may be uh, number one there. But, uh, yeah, it was just incredible yesterday. And, and the different facets of this East Coast and uh, Great Lakes storm that has been around since Friday, actually even earlier than that, back towards the Midwest and uh, areas just south of Winnipeg. So it's been an incredible storm. But yesterday, those winds gusting to 100, I've never seen Lake Ontario look like that. And, of course, at the same time, you're getting these ice pellets uh, that pelt you in the face from time to time and basically feels like rubbing sandpaper up and down. So it, it was a wild weekend, to say the least. Well, and this weather is just throwing the Major League Baseball schedule completely upside down with uh, horrible weather all across the northern United States. And we saw it uh, direct effect for us, the Winnipeg Jets. Anthony, I don't know if you're familiar or not, uh, could not get to Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport on Saturday. They got diverted to Duluth, had to come home Saturday morning and flew out on a game day, which you never do in the regular season, let alone in the playoffs. So the Jets had to fly in yesterday morning uh, to play a game last night. This this storm is gigantic in terms of the geographic area that it's been affecting. No, it really is. In fact, uh, the entire eastern half of the U.S. and now the entire eastern half of Canada uh, directly affected by this storm. There were tornadoes uh, over the course of the weekend as well. That's further south. Minneapolis, you mentioned 30 to 40 centimeters there and drifts uh, almost as high as two meters. So when hockey teams are getting diverted, we know baseball parks are are vulnerable to the weather because uh, many of them don't have domes, but it has just been uh, really an incredible stretch and, and people are fed up. I can tell you people here in Ontario are just fed up and uh, they're ready for spring and now we get setbacks like this. And I mean, I'm looking out right now and, and there's about five centimeters of pure ice that is everywhere and on top of that is uh, tree limbs that are just littered around buds that were coming out of the trees are now on the ground as well so um, we're ready for for maybe spring to to finally spring in Canada. Yeah we see Ontario Provincial Police reported more than 1400 crashes over the weekend more than 600 flights cancelled out of Toronto's Pearson International Uh, 90,000 homes and businesses were without power as of daybreak this morning and you mentioned that ice whenever I think of an ice storm I think back to that big one that affected did uh, Montreal uh, some, well, how long was that like 20 years ago Greg um, yeah it's, it's the uh, 1998 the 20-year 20 20-year uh, anniversary is uh, is coming up so actually it was just, just passed so uh, that uh, I remember well I was living in Montreal at the time and speaking of Montreal and ice uh, all the school boards have closed there as well so that's another city impacted Ottawa and now uh, Atlantic Canada and the big ice storm for Toronto was back in 2013, and we thought this was going to be similar, but it fell mostly as ice pellets and a little less freezing rain. So that did help things out, even though uh, if you were driving this weekend, uh, you couldn't really tell much of a difference. Uh, Anthony, I don't want to make you feel bad, but I'm probably going to uh, <laughs> when I tell you that uh, it's going to be plus eight in Winnipeg today. We're looking for a high Environment Canada saying sunny and 12 by Friday. One of the weather forecasts that uh, Brett and I both follow says maybe as warm as 17 on Saturday. Environment Canada saying a high of 13 on Saturday. Brett's getting his golf clubs polished up uh, to, to maybe get them uh, working this weekend. So uh, sorry about that. 
Oh, yeah, and nothing pisses off uh, Torontonians more than hearing how nice it is in Winnipeg in April and how much snow there is here. That that really ticks everybody off. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then, of course, uh, in Alberta, Calgary might get uh, as much as 25 centimeters today. Kelowna, the mountains around Kelowna and Vernon, anywhere from 27 to 35 centimeters of snow over the next 24 hours. So it's been just an absolutely crazy year for winter. Uh, Somebody said that today is not actually uh, the 16th of April. It's the 96th day of January. And I claim that one is my own from Facebook today. Yeah, it it, it feels that way. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I like to think that that's it after this week and I know uh, the situation actually could get serious this spring uh, out in places like Calgary and already there are reports of some flooding so that snow has to eventually melt but this has been uh, just some wild weather and if you avoid it for a week or two and I remember in March all those crazy east coast storms where New York, Boston were just getting slammed and we were laughing the rest of Canada was all laughing that that they were getting it and not not other, other cities and and now it's kind of, uh, the tide has turned for many places that, that were dry earlier. All right, Anthony Farnell, well, stay dry. Hopefully you don't have to go back out into conditions like we heard in that clip. That just, that didn't sound fun. Oh, I'm in the cozy weather center today, and uh, <laughs> I appreciate driving around all weekend, but it's going to be nice to be uh, back in front of my weather map. All right, Anthony Farnell, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Anthony is Global National's chief meteorologist, joining us to talk about all the extreme weather that is being experienced in various parts of Canada. You always call me the king of segues. Yep. <clears throat> Five oh. alliteration. Five-word alliteration here. Okay. Mackling, McNabb, McGarry on a Monday morning. In Minnesota. In Minnesota. It's actually six, <laughs> if you don't count the I. Loren McNabb joins us now, who made the journey to St. Paul along with Russ Hobson. And it was St. Paul that you went to, right, Loren? Not to Minneapolis. You went all the way to St. Paul, right? I hear Greg at no. Did we just lose her? We just lost Loren. You have to pay for your hotel room, Loren, in order to use the phone in the hotel room. Hang on, let's try it. Nope. I, can you hear me? Yes. I am so sorry. It literally just pulled the whole headset out of the jacket. <laughs> One of those seven dollar phones. You made me, Greg. You're so you're so picky about the St. Paul Minneapolis line well, that I got angry and ripped the phone out of the wall. Nine so five, nine nine point five miles from downtown Minneapolis to downtown St. Paul, and if you don't drive that last nine and a half miles, you're not making it to the game. You got it. I am in St. Paul, and I was in St. Paul for the game last night. And you know what? It wasn't. It wasn't what the Jets fans wanted in the crowd. They certainly tried to bring it in the first uh, period. You might have been able to hear them at home, but boy, were they silenced through that second. And I didn't hear much of from them after that. For those that have not been to St. Paul, paint a little bit of a picture uh, about the area around XL Energy Center because uh, it, it has become a little bit what I think a lot of folks in downtown Winnipeg are hoping that can be brought to downtown Winnipeg on, on game days. Absolutely. You know, it's really amazing rink and also just the area around it has, it's right by the river. So it's really kind of a nice setting, but then there's a whole bunch of strips, um, streets that are only, you know, a five minute walk from the rink that have restaurants, bars, signs, just a ton of people walking around and like bar after bar last night, you would walk into and either be treated with like, yay or boo, depending on where they figured out you were coming from. And so it just kind of has that festive feeling. Obviously it's the playoffs, but I've also been down here for regular season games and that's just the way it feels. 
deals around here all the time. Just good times for people. So, Loren, uh, what sort of stories have you, you stumbled upon in your adventures there so far outside of the weather? I mean, what kind of people have you been talking to? Well, that's the first one was the weather and the snowfall totals are in for today. And wow, it was a foot and a half to two feet in some parts. So when I first drove down, I sort of thought maybe people were, you know, it wasn't didn't seem so bad. But as the snow kept coming, it certainly was. So that was that was kind of day one. But now we're kind of looking at what Canadians A are doing down here who are traveling here. Some of them are spending a couple of days because they're going to go to the game tomorrow. And we're also talking to some folks who live down here who used to live in Canada. I met a fellow at the game last night who was with his uh, buddy from Minneapolis. One's in a wild jersey, the other's in a Jets jersey. He's a transplanted Canadian, so we're going to be talking to him today just sort of about being a Canadian living uh, in the States and what's that like down here. And, of course, I believe you've been talking to Russ Hobson this morning, and he's gone back to Blake Wheeler's, uh, not necessarily his hometown, but where he played a lot of his hockey, his high school career. So he's back at that school, which coincidentally is on Ottawa Avenue, which is kind of neat. So (laughs) a lot of things to be working on. Well, you know, uh, I was when we were speaking to Russ earlier, I drew the correlation between the Jets and wild rivalry to that of the rivalry between the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and their fans. Because, you know, really, we're Prairie cousins and Midwest cousins at the heart of it. We're, we're not that much different than one another. I think there's so many similarities. Obviously, St. Paul and Minneapolis are far bigger than Winnipeg, but, you know, you take the drive down here and the scenery is so familiar. Even when you get into the city, there's a river that cut through the cities, much like, uh, you know, the Red and the Cinnaboyne cut through Winnipeg. The people are really uh, fun and friendly, and I think that even in the crowd last night as people were cheering, it was a it was a good rivalry. And I actually had a couple Wild fans come up to me last night and said, I know you guys are going to try to blame it on the weather, but I hope you don't take this as a poor welcome. You're still welcome here anytime and the weather will go away and let's just have a fun series. So that's the kind of banter you get from folks who are just, everybody's out to have a good time and support their team. Loren, we've got the street party here in Winnipeg on Donald Street, which we're, I believe, going with Whiteout Way uh, for the name of that. But uh, there were plans for some outdoor festivities which were uh, thwarted by the weather. Do you know if they're going to uh, go ahead with plans for outdoor stuff for the next game? It's my understanding that they're going to effort that. They really, they've been doing that for a couple of years now. And so their goal is always to, to get the folks outside as early as possible. Yesterday, the snow was relentless. So in the beginning, I kind of thought, oh, geez, in Winnipeg, we would have gone ahead with this party. But then the snow returned and you couldn't see anything. It wouldn't have been any fun for anyone out there uh, Sunday night. But I, it, my understanding is they're going to work and see if they can put it together for Tuesday. The problem is they were going to hold it in this park right across from Excel Energy Center. And there's still so much snow on the like the piles that I can see all around uh, our hotel and in this area are four, five, six feet deep. You know, the ones that they've plowed away and built into these big areas that they hope to clear. So it depends if they can get that snow and if it warms up enough to get that melt. Loren, they call it the state of hockey for a reason. It is a state of mind. And uh, uh, Tom Reeds, did you make it to Tom Reeds and that outstanding sports bar just down from XL Energy Center? Yeah, I actually, you know, I didn't get in it because there was a lineup going into it when I walked by there last night. There's a lots of fans down there, and I know he's a hockey legend here too, right? People have a lot of respect for Tom. And what was interesting to me uh, coming to this game, and it always is, it's kind of the same as um, Winnipeg. Like, the Jets and the 
uh, and the wild, the jerseys that you see. I saw also a ton of vintage jerseys out there last night. A lot of Mike Modano jerseys, uh, the old North, uh, North Star jerseys. Lots of people sort of still loving the past but having high hopes for the future. So it's really an interesting hockey town. And I hope to get inside Tom Reed's in the next 48 <laughs> hours, Greg. Well, I, I heard from a lot of fans who were having a blast in there last night. Well, if you get a chance to speak with him, he is uh, one heck of an individual. We used to have him on Sports Sunday on a regular basis. He's uh, been a commentator and a color uh, analyst for the Wild Broadcast for for several years now. So, Loren, we look forward to uh, your reports, not only on radio, but on TV tonight. And uh, we'll, we'll speak with you tomorrow morning. Perfect. Thanks so much, Greg. All right. Enjoy the rest of your stay in St. Paul. Loren McNabb, Global News anchor, joining us live from Minnesota. Uh, And she pulled the phone out of the jack. So mad. Just to provide you with some context on that, you know, because and I I have made this mistake uh, referring to uh, I can't remember which sport it was. If it was I don't think it was hockey. Where did the Timberwolves play? In Minneapolis at the Target Center. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that. Well, anyway, I referred to something as taking place in Minneapolis when in fact it was St. Paul. And I believe it was actually you who made who corrected me on that and I think a lot of people make that mistake right because when we think of going down to the Twin Cities the first city that tends to jump to mind is Minneapolis and uh, Greg pointed out to everybody just a reminder <laughs> a friendly reminder it's in St. Paul right uh, so Greg and Loren have been kind of jaw jacking <laughs> about that so it's funny that she pulled the phone out <laughs> <laughs> Is she trying to rustle crow herself? In the I'm not hotel? exactly sure, but uh, anyway, I, I think I won that round. That's all I'm going to say. Before we move on here, we want to talk about seatbelts. But before we do that, uh, we want to say congratulations to Wendy Clausen. She won two tickets to The Lonely, celebrating Roy Orbison at Club Region Event Center. And behind the glass, Jerry, I understand Wendy. Well, why don't you tell us what happened? Yeah, Wendy said that uh, she is so excited to go to that because the show is on her birthday. Well, happy almost birthday, Wendy. Congratulations for picking up those tickets. That's outstanding. That show is next Tuesday, April 24th, and uh, we have more tickets to give away for that throughout the week here on 680 CJOB. Sorry, Brett, and it's also at the Club Region Event Centre, which is an absolutely gorgeous location for concerts and other events. I'm guessing you've been there, yes? Well, I've been to Club Region. I used to go watch uh, wrestling pay-per-views, actually, down when it was Jaguars. Okay, so you've not been in the new event centre. No. It's spectacular. It's gorgeous. Uh, Chris Jericho there and uh, some other events for the uh, Winnipeg uh, Comedy Festival last year. And I know they're having some events there this week as well. So a uh, wonderful place to take in a show. Uh, this next item we're going to talk about still bothersome. You know that seatbelt use came into seatbelt use legislation, pardon me, came into effect April 1st, 1984. Okay. In Manitoba. So we are going on, is it 34 years? Yeah. And a couple of weeks since this was mandatory, and we're seeing people still dying at tremendous rates uh, because of a, a lack of use of seatbelts. Manitoba Public Insurance is urging drivers to buckle up because preliminary data on fatalities, MPI says nearly 40% of drivers and passengers killed this year in public roadway crashes were not using a seatbelt at the time of the crash. Brian Smiley from MPI joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Smiley, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, fellas. Good morning. Well, Brian, this is bothersome. I read this uh, very early this morning, and it it, it beyond irks me. I I can't wrap my head around uh, the fact that people don't 
understand how valuable a seatbelt is. Can you just tell us how much more likely you are to perish in an accident if you are not wearing your seatbelt versus if you are wearing one? Well, uh, from the outset, I agree with you 100%, Greg. I can't believe that people aren't doing their seatbelts up. Uh, as you mentioned, it's been law for about you know, nearly 40 years. Seatbelts have been uh, implemented in vehicles since the 1950s, but the statistics are not good if you're not wearing a seatbelt. A person is 35 to 40 times more likely to be killed in a crash when they're not using their uh, vehicle safety equipment, i.e. seatbelts. So again, uh, why on earth anybody wouldn't take that one second and buckle up? It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit puzzling, and that's one of the reasons why Manitoba Public Insurance uh, was raising awareness last week about the fact that we're seeing some very troublesome numbers for the 2018 already and some real troublesome numbers relating to non-seatbelt use. Do you have any idea as to where these, uh, these fatalities involving the lack of seatbelt use are happening? Well, unfortunately, uh, pre- predominantly and the majority are in rural Manitoba. And, and again, we're not quite sure why that is. Transport Canada has done seatbelt surveys over the years, and they, uh, they see that seatbelt use in the rural areas is not good uh, with respect to uh, the urban centres. So uh, not quite sure why uh, folks in the rural areas, uh, not everybody, we shouldn't be pointing a finger at everybody, but uh, we do know that the people that are being killed in rural Manitoba some of them aren't wearing their seatbelts. And again, a number of reasons for that. Higher speeds, again, highway speeds. Uh, in some areas, uh, in rural areas, uh, Greg would know this too, uh, ditches. You hit that ditch, your vehicle is going to be flipping over, rolling over. And that's when passengers and drivers start flying around in a vehicle. And uh, again, the potential to be seriously injured and killed are, are increased dramatically when there's no seatbelt. Yeah, gravel roads, back roads, all those different uh, ways of life, right? If you live in rural Manitoba, it just would make sense in my mind that you you, you would want to use a seatbelt even more often because of the type of roads that, that you can and, and are able to, to travel when you're living in rural Manitoba. Now, Brian, I can't believe, you know, as we mentioned, that we're 34 years and a couple of weeks into this legislation. And when we have the discussion with regard to legalizing marijuana or or the patio smoking ban, the whole idea of seatbelt use and the fact that it's against the law to not wear one still rears its head. And there are still people who believe that it's not the government's job to tell me what to do as it pertains to seatbelt use. What, what, what is the message there in terms of why it is a law? Well, it's a law for a number of reasons. One, for the person's own personal safety. Uh, we, we want to uh, make sure that people are uh, able to go out and, and, and have a drive if they do unfortunately get into a collision. Uh, the combination of seatbelt and airbag will reduce, the, uh, reduce their percentages of getting injured or killed uh, from, uh, from a number of uh, levels. I mean, you don't want to see someone get killed in a crash that could have been prevented. They're throwing out the window, the vehicle rolls over them. Uh, or they fly out, they hit a rock, they hit a tree. Um, again, from Manitoba Public Insurance's perspective, our role is is to raise awareness, educate, and uh, and talk about these things in partnership with the law enforcement. Uh, we know that uh, people are driving and they're not putting their seatbelts on. And, and again, we're not quite sure why they're not doing that, I guess, because uh, perhaps... They, they haven't got into the habit of it, or they feel that they don't need to wear a seatbelt because they're going to be going a short distance. Uh, we're not really quite sure uh, what the exact reason is, but um, you know, when you took a look at people that are uh, injured in a car crash, 
brain injuries, quadriplegic, paraplegic, uh, serious, serious life-changing injuries, why wouldn't you want to put your seatbelt on? Uh, it just, uh, it's a mystery. Brian, you held an event on Friday at uh, your auction hall, Manitoba Public Insurance Auction Hall on Plessy and Transcona. You had some students from Murdoch McKay Collegiate there, as well as a mother who survived a single vehicle rollover because of a seatbelt. Can you tell us a little bit about her story? Well, her story is not unlike many people. She was shopping in the city and she was returning back to her home in Niverville, Highway 59. She was going south. She was passing a vehicle. The weather was uh, not great. The roads were not great. Uh, and by her own admission, she was not exceeding the speed limit. Uh, but she came upon a vehicle that was traveling unusually slow. Uh, she went around to pass that particular vehicle. Her vehicle caught a patch of ice. And uh, she went into a skid. Uh, she caught the gravel. The, her half-ton truck rolled over and uh, landed on its roof. Uh, literally, she was traveling through the ditch on its roof. Snow smashed through the windshield. Uh, very, very frightening experience for her. Her uh, four-month-old baby was fortunately fastened in the child car seat. Uh, so again, uh, for Amanda, her name is Amanda, uh, she was buckled in. She was literally upside down in the cab of the vehicle, but at the end of the crash, she was safe. First responders were there very, very quickly. Uh, they uh, got her out of the vehicle. They got the baby out of the vehicle. And again, uh, she credits the seatbelt for saving her life or from a very serious injury. Well, I can tell you from experience, uh, just three weeks into January, I was less than a kilometer from my house on my way to pick up my kids from school when I got rear-ended at a red light by someone doing over 80 kilometers per hour, Brian. And I can tell you this, without my seatbelt, I'm dealing with a, what they call frozen shoulder on my left shoulder because of the of the action of the seatbelt. But I would much rather be dealing with that than uh, my kids and my wife having to, to, to bury me uh, three or four days after because if I hadn't worn my seatbelt, I suspect that's what might have happened to me. You're right, Greg, uh, and, and Amanda did suffer a uh, shoulder injury also as a result of the crash, but uh, by her, as she told the audience, uh, the injury is far less than what the, uh, what the other um, results could have been, and again, I mentioned a, a serious brain injury, quadriplegic, paraplegic, those are life-changing injuries. Uh, a fatality is certainly a horrible, horrible thing. But the people who survive some of these crashes and not wearing a seatbelt, life after that crash is dramatically changed. Uh, Again, if you have a severe brain injury, your life is is dramatically altered. And again, from your situation, you have uh, the frozen shoulder injury. But again, you could have been thrown through the front windshield. Uh, Who knows what could have happened. Uh, When the seatbelt engages, it literally tightens and it keeps you in your seat where you're supposed to be. The combination of the airbag will, again, provide that safety protection for you. And finally, Brian, if if none of this has uh, provided motivation for uh, someone to maybe start wearing a seatbelt, maybe financial motivation will help because there is a fine if you're caught not wearing a seatbelt, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, Brett. There's a there's a fine of nearly three hundred dollars. Not to mention that a person, uh, upon conviction, will move down two levels on their driver safety rating, which will have uh, an effect on their auto pack uh, discount. Uh, it will affect their driver license in terms of what they pay on that. So there's the financial uh, the financial penalty on all that. Uh, again, uh, for people that are not using their seatbelt, uh, and if they're listening to this, it takes you one second to do up that seatbelt. 
And uh, again, that's what we're hoping to send the strong message out here. I should also mention that we're one of the other things that we talked about in addition to not seatbelt use, but 2018 itself is shaping up to be not a very good year on our on our roadways in Manitoba. We're already looking right now after the first three months of 18 Manitobans killed in motor vehicle crashes for the first three months, and that's 80% higher than the average over the last five years. So uh, 2018 is not trending in the right direction. Well, 2017 wasn't very good uh, either. Uh, Brian, thank you for this. Uh, we appreciate you helping us get the word out on this. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. really appreciate it. All right, Brian Smiley from Manitoba Public Insurance. Once again, in case you are just tuning in, the headline is nearly 40% of 2018 road deaths in Manitoba linked to non-seatbelt use. I feel like we should let this song play out a little bit. Well, let's turn it off just for a second so our guests can hear it. Well, Paul probably knows what it is. I'm not sure about, uh, about Meredith. A little bit before Meredith's time. You sing? Can you sing so we can get to the lyrics a little quicker? You want me to sing? I'm not going to sing. All right. <laughs> Zombie, right? Is it the pumpkins? Cranberries. Cranberries. <laughs> oh, that is a good tune. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that from like the, the beginning there. I knew, it, I knew it immediately. Yeah. Good job, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Macklin McGarry with you on this Monday morning. And uh, we're joined in studio now by uh, two guests. We're going to talk about filmmaking in Manitoba after creating two short films. A local filmmaker is looking to expand the universe he created with a full-length movie. And Rama is the name of the film. It's a feature-length film about a girl named Lex who is infected with a deadly virus and assembles a ragtag group of strangers to help her cross a post-apocalyptic landscape in order to find the cure. I really wish we would have known that she was infected with some sort of deadly virus before letting her into the studio. <laughs> yeah. That would have been helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do I need to go to my friend's place with all the guns before you get infected? I think we're stuck in here. We may be hermetically sealed <laughs> henceforth. <laughs> well, hey, today, today, a Kickstarter campaign has been launched to help fund Rama. Here is a clip. We want to film as much of this movie as we can in camera. We want it to look and feel like a real lived-in world. And in order to do that, we got to make a lot of this stuff for real. And costumes, props, and sets cost money. So that's where you come in. We're trying to raise the money to get this project off the ground, and every little bit helps. If you don't have any money, feel free to spread the word, and let's get this movie made. So the man behind Rama joins us live on 680 CJOB, along with the star of the film. So Paul Plett is the man behind the movie. 14-year-old Meredith Rose is the girl who is going to lead the way in this film, Paul and Meredith, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having us. So you're not totally method, right, Meredith? You haven't actually ingested a virus (laughs) and become infected in order to perfect this role? No, all amazing special effects. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Okay, I feel better now. So, Paul, uh, you wanted to do this movie. Is is my understanding correctly that this is as there will be zombies in this film? Yeah, basically. I mean, they're not zombies. It's kind of the 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 movie doesn't take place in our universe. So this is like these are people who have been infected with a virus and they become something else. We call them bogies. Bogies. Yeah, but they're kind of like zombies. Yeah. So before we talk more about the film, I have to ask you because the season eight finale was on last night. Are you a fan? Of The Walking Dead. <laughs> I wish I was. I really want to be. I tried watching The Walking Dead because people 
kept on recommending it to me, and that it is just too scary You're for me. You're making a movie about kind of about <laughs> zombies, and you don't watch The Walking I Dead. I know, I know. It's a totally valid, it's a valid thing to say. No, I sat down and I tried to watch the first episode, and it was just like, I think I, I got like three minutes in. The tension was just too much for me to take. It just, I was, uh, I was just going to go crazy. Well, and it opens with a child zombie, which is quite disturbing, right? I think that very yeah, first scene. I don't scene. even think I got that far. I think he was just walking through this <laughs> post-apocalyptic <laughs> landscape, and I was just like, I was so freaked out. I was like, nope, nope, can't do it. So yeah. you're a scaredy cat. I, yeah. Oh, definitely. I'm a big scaredy cat, which I think is probably what makes me equipped to make a scary movie. Oh, really? Because I know fear. I get scared very easily, right? Interesting. Yeah. What about you, Meredith? Do you like zombies? Um, sort of. I don't watch The Walking Dead, but I have a lot of friends who watch it. Really? And, yeah, I'm just, I'm not super into all that gore and stuff like that. So we've got a guy who's scared of zombies, who's making a movie about zombies, <laughs> and we have a young actress who also doesn't like zombies, who's starring in a movie about zombies. <laughs> Did I, is that sort of accurate? <laughs> I think there are going to be some boundaries expanded here exactly. on two fronts, right? Yeah. So are you excited about this, Meredith? And, I'm and so talk excited. about t- how long have you been doing this? What got you into acting? Um, well, I had a couple of friends, and I just ended up going to sort of um, like a workshop with them, and then I just totally got like drawn in with it, and it was just like all of, I guess, just like seeing the glamour and stuff like that of the set and just, like, getting to be someone else and, like, putting all of your all and all of your personality into the character is just so fun. How much acting have you done so far? Um, well, this is my first, like, main role in a movie. And I was in another movie. It was called Midnight Man where I died within the first eight minutes. But that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the closest I've come to ever dying in real life. <laughs> okay. How did you die in the movie? Um, well, there's this guy, and basically, like, the plot of the movie is you're sitting in this circle of salt, and then, like, he'll try and draw you out in some way, and so I heard a mirror crash and got, like, super freaked out, and then came out of the circle and dragged me into the corner and basically slit my throat and oh blood. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Right. It was a little bit gory. I was sitting in a puddle of blood, and they had a shop vac to clean it up. <laughs> 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 Bring up the shop back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely a lot of blood. <laughs> uh, Paul, we're making a lot of movies in Winnipeg right now. And when mm. I say we, the, the royal we, from all over, right? Not only locally, but from all over. Because uh, who who did I say was in town? Chrissy Metz from Chrissy This Is Metz Us. From she this plays is Kate. Up, right, you know? Mm-hmm, and we hear mm-hmm. uh, about uh, some Hollywood blockbusters that have been certainly been made here over, over the years. Is this one genre where... We're cut, are we good at this in Manitoba, making a horror films, so to speak? Um, yeah, I mean, this is a sci-fi movie. It's not strictly like a horror-type movie. Um, boy, I mean, I think it is awesome that they're making so many kind of big, big-budget movies are coming into town, and the business is really booming and stuff. I mean, something that's different about this movie is this isn't some big-budget kind of Hollywood blockbuster. We don't have sort of major stars. This is a real, like, strictly, like, intensely local movie um, made by local people, just a bunch of regular people trying to make a big movie. And I think that in terms of that, there's a lot of awesome different kinds of movies being made by sort of local people. There are these really cool big projects coming through town, which employs a lot of people, and that's awesome. Uh, And it'd be really cool to be a part of that at some point. But right now, we're sort of, we're kind of more on the indie movie level, yeah. 
Is there a trickle down, though, I guess maybe is what I'm asking in terms of the expertise of the crews that even independents might uh, enlist to help out? Yeah, we are. Many of our crew members do work on some of these bigger productions, um, probably kind of at a lower level. Like and then this is an opportunity for them to sort of try to hit a little higher. Right. Like someone who might be an assistant on a bigger production is able to sort of head a department on a movie like this, which is just amazing. Really awesome. So the it was one of the websites. Is it Ode Productions? That's correct, yeah. And that's spelled O-D-E, productions.com. So how many, uh, how long have you been into filmmaking? Like, how long have have you been doing this? Well, I've been doing it professionally for about 10 years. Yeah, before that, I mean, I was making movies with my friends and stuff. But I went to film school about 10 years ago, started this production company, Ode Productions, and I've been making movies for about 10 years or so. Okay. And uh, this particular, you've made two short films already that take place in the same universe as Rama, right? That's correct, yeah. We made Scab and we made Pisces. Meredith is the star of Scab. It introduces her and kind of tells the story about how she met one of her companions. And Pisces is a movie that takes place in the same universe, but it's about a a crew of a spaceship. Uh, So it introduces another character as well as the spaceship. So we kind of learned a lot making those two short films, so now we're ready to take on something a bit bigger, and, and we're excited to to see if we can raise the money to make Rama. So where can people see the first two films, and then how can they help to make the third one? Yeah, the, well, the if feature you, length one. Scab, if you are in Winnipeg and Manitoba, we are going to be premiering Scab at the Winnipeg Cinematheque on May 8th. So you can look out for that. Pisces, we just finished. We just filmed it in January. So we're going to finish it up. It's going to kind of do the festival circuit for about a year or so, um, and then it'll be released if you're interested and you're going to be coming to the SCAB premiere, we may be showing a sneak peek of Pisces. If people are interested in checking out Rama, we have a Kickstarter that we just launched. Look up Rama. Otherwise, I think the website to go to would be www.ramathefilm.com. R-A-M-A-T-H-E-F-I-L-M.com. Yeah, I'm there right now, and uh, as soon as you open it up, you get uh, a video is showing with different scenes from the film, and it looks, it actually looks re- like great, uh, like a lot of handheld action. It looks uh, big budget is a word that comes to mind just from these initial shots. Oh, it looks cool. really cool. Glad, glad you said that. Yeah, I mean, like I said we are a local group of people kind of regular people but we do have a high standard we're trying to make a really cool big movie so as much as we're trying to kind of access regular people and stuff we're, we're trying to do something that's extraordinary meredith how many hours a week do you have to devote to this um well once we get the script i'll probably spend a lot of time like looking over it and really like analyzing lex care lex's character which is who i play in scab and rama and like she's a really complex girl like she's got a lot of layers and stuff like that and i think it's really interesting to see the way that she sort of evolves as the story goes on so that's going to take a lot of work just to get that just right but i don't know i would say like in a week probably like five or six hours if i just spend a little little hour every day like just really getting into the character so are you trying to create or has paul created for you a backstory for your character or have you sort of created that yourself in order to suspend reality and, and put yourself in, in her shoes, into Lexi's shoes? Well, there's definitely a backstory to her. Like um, what happened is like there's this entire organization called the Shabonia and like they invaded her planet and then they pushed her out and her mom and dad, they both end up dying along the way. Um, and both of them are killed by the this organization. So she's got a lot of trauma happening in her life. And so there's definitely a backstory, but I think I can really put into it parts of me to make the character my own. So, yeah. so now that you have a taste of the acting bug, is this something that you hope to pursue 
more as you continue on this journey, maybe even as a career? Yeah, 100%. Like, it would be living the dream if I can make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, Paul, I'm going to ask you a question here that might be on the minds of some. Why should we contribute to a Kickstarter campaign to help you make a movie? Why should we do this? Um, well, there's a lot of different reasons. I think kind of the main two reasons that, that come to mind for me is, one, if you're interested in kind of locally made productions and, and art or film or anything, this is a really local film. We shot part of this movie in the Pemina Valley in Manitoba. We shot part of it just outside of Steinbeck. We shot part of it in Winnipeg. Uh, of our past films. So with Rama, we want to shoot a lot of this movie in Manitoba. We want to showcase different parts of the province that people might not know about. People might not know exist and how beautiful and amazing and diverse this province is. I think secondly, if you're interested in sci-fi movies, particularly indie sci-fi movies, this is right up your alley. This is a movie like Firefly, like Mad Max, like Blade Runner. If you kind of like movies that have sort of a tone like those movies, this is a really cool, original uh, movie idea that that kind of is in that vein. So I think if you're interested in local movies, if you're interested in indie sci-fi, this is something that that you should check out. And Kickstarter, for the just to, to clarify, Kickstarter isn't a straight donation. Right? I think it's an investment. Is it not? That's correct. You're gonna you're gonna donate something. You're gonna invest something, and you're gonna get something back. We got all kinds of crazy, awesome perks uh, from as simple as having your name in the credits to, I mean, as big as I think we got some donations that if you want to be like an executive producer, we're gonna. We're going to show you a private screening of the film and then get you a home-cooked meal and meet the cast and crew and just kind of give you the, the red carpet treatment. Yeah. That sounds like a fantastic project, uh, really a homegrown, one of those grassroots operations that we could all be proud of. And I'm looking at uh, ramathefilm.com myself and uh, take some time, check it out. Uh, it may very well be right up your alley and something that you decide to invest in to be a part of the plan to uh, make this film. Uh, fascinating stuff. Thank you, Paul. And thank you, Meredith. It was nice to meet you both. And uh, best of luck uh, for both of you down the road. Thank you so much for yeah. having us. Thanks a lot, guys. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shannon Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Na, 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 na.